1: If you notice that you're jumping from diet to diet, at a certain point,
0: you have to wonder, the only common denominator is me. Get outside,
1: go for a walk, get some vitamin D, breathe some fresh air, and stay happy and healthy and and take care of yourselves.
0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. My name is Judy Cho, and I'm here with my friend and co-host, Laura Spath. And today we are going to talk about just struggling, uh, struggling with food, not being able to stay consistent, struggling with things in life, things that we feel, things that we can do and things we can do to overcome these moments where life gets hard. And instead of turning to food, that we can do things that will make us feel better
1: and grieve through it or experience it, but then move on. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that people have the hardest time with, eating this way or giving up the carbs is that so many of us use food for emotional support when you're stressed, when you're bored, when you're happy, like kind of all those things or, you know, people that are, people reach out to both of us constantly and just saying like, how do you stay on track when I'm struggling? Or I'm, you know, I have a really hard time when I'm I'm so stressed and I end up eating, like, how do I just stay on track Um, or push through that? And so it's, it's at least worth kind of exploring that. Cause I know, I mean, for me specifically, like it's taken me a very long time to figure that out myself. Um, And that's most of the time whenever I've had setbacks is because I'm just going through like a really stressful time. Right. And,
0: you know, from a physiological perspective, when we're stressed, we release more adrenaline, and then cortisol. And when we release more cortisol, we have more inflammation and our body is just not running as efficiently. When it comes to food, when we're tapping out our cortisol a lot, we're going to use our glucose stores, we're going to run on a lot of that energy. And then if we're constantly doing it, that becomes a harm on the body. And then so that's where I think it's not ideal to chronically be stressed, because your blood sugar will be consistently up, you won't sleep as well. And then again, you're going to crave these things that one just from neural response of your brain, your body knows, Oh, in these states, like Judy normally would turn to sugar. And so in those high stress states, your body's going to do that. But the problem is, like think about if you get in a car accident, you feel that adrenaline in your system, your blood glucose is probably really high at that time. But then it goes away and your blood sugar goes down, your heart's not pumping as fast. And those are those acute moments of stress. And it's very normal. But when we're having a lot of chatter in our brain, or we're ruminating on these negative thoughts of, do I need to do this or that, then when we constantly have that level of cortisol, the problem is in those states of stress, our bodies purposely kind of shut down our digestive process, so that it can focus on running away from your predator. And then it also shuts down your immune system. So you can't properly heal as well. And that's where it's really, really not ideal to be in a chronic stress state. And then if you're trying to eat in that state where your digestive system is naturally not working like it should be, then you're going to cause a lot of like gut dysbiosis or gut issues that can then make the whole body end up having maybe leaky gut or other issues. So it all is physiologically, it impacts us. And a lot of it is just the way that we view the world, the way that we are dealing with the stress, if we're constantly thinking about whatever is stressing
1: us, All of that can be an adverse impact. Well, and the food itself gives you an emotional, positive emotional response in the moment. The food tastes good. It has an emotional connection. It has a comforting, people call it comfort food for a reason. And that's what foods have an emotional response for us. Uh, And so there's that emotional element where we're looking for something that's comforting, that's familiar, that's safe, that's nostalgic and not only that, then the food itself is designed to give you this chemical excitement, and so there is this hormonal and physical. Not only the blood sugar spike when you eat something that's processed, and um, you know whatever that is, whatever that food is for you, but you're also having like an emotional response to it in the moment, and so all of this rush of good feelings. That's why so many of us, myself included, have used food for without even realizing it when we're feeling stressed or um, upset or frustrated or whatever that is, because it instantly makes you feel better. The unfortunate thing is that that is a very quick response. And emo- you know the, the, all of those feelings fade very quickly. And usually we're left with, feeling more lethargic, the sugar crash that comes afterwards. Um, you have not actually addressed the situation that you're in. Right. And you end up just feeling worse physically. Like you mentioned, you're going to have gut issues. You're going to have all these other after effects, inflammation. I get headaches, you know, all of these things that can come from eating that way. Um, when just that brief moment of pleasure happened.
0: Yeah, and I and I completely understand. I mean, when I decide would decide, oh, okay, I'm going to binge today. Um, I'll have that dopamine kick where you it's the reward behavior; it feels good. But even if you escape with food, so you don't have to deal with your emotions or whatever is going on with your life. I mean, the first bite maybe is good and you feel that pleasure, but soon after, like Laura just said, you feel unwell. But not only that, you start getting the emotional shame. You feel despair, mm-hmm. you feel regret, and then you start really, really rebuking yourself in a way that, so I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I'm always breaking my diet. And then it just becomes this vicious cycle of, so then you feel bad, and then the next day you're trying to get better, but now that you have like excess sugar in your body and maybe you're like slightly a little bit more insulin resistant then your body has a hard time just trying to adapt. And so it becomes this vicious cycle. And then the longer you're in it, whatever caused the stress for you to even do that, now it's it's just continuing for days because you just feel bad and then you're in a rut mentally and emotionally.
1: And none of that food actually made any difference for the way that, you know, for whatever is going on in your real life. And I think that's been the hardest thing for me over the last four years is figuring out how to address what's, actually causing me stress, the root cause of stress, or, you know, my argument or my work problem or whatever that is without having to deal with food. Because now for the first time, I don't have an escape. Um, and, and I have to actually like kind of sit in those feelings and take time to figure out what's really going on. And that's, I think some people need therapy. I probably could have used a therapist over the last four years. I'm not going to lie. Probably would have short shortcutted me quite a bit.
0: Let's talk a little bit about some of the ways that you maybe during those moments where you want to turn to food, like what you've done, what you've seen be helpful. Let me talk a little bit before you do that about some of the physiological and emotional side. I think there's two parts of food cravings. One is the physical where your body really needs a nutrient. And if it doesn't have any, it's going to have you crave something that possibly has that nutrient so that you're not deficient. Your body can have you survive. So if you can make sure that you are adequately eating enough, you're eating enough fat. I mean, a lot of people, a lot, a lot of women I talk to say, I'm trying to cut weight. So the first thing they cut is fat. And then if you cut fat, especially when you are hormonally imbalanced or you're stressed, it's going to make everything worse because every, the things I just talked of hormones, your sex hormones and your stress levels, it needs fat to subsist and to be produced. So cutting fat in those times is probably the worst thing to do. But if people were to eat sufficiently and have enough fat, then when the mental part comes, which is still hard, it's not as hard as when your body is telling you to literally go and eat junk food, because you're not fighting two battles, you're fighting the craving side and the mental, you know, chaos in your head, which is a lot. But the physical side is like, I'm good. I don't really need anything. And it makes it a little bit easier to then fight that craving.
1: Yeah. And I think too, just, I mean, that's it. Like it's, we all know that you can start a diet and you get excited or you're like, I'm going to give up, you know, um, all my sugar and all the carbs, but then real life happens. Like we are always going to have stressful times. And it's, it's, that's the part that I think is hardest for most people. And for myself for many years is, is being able to stay on track when life throws you curveballs. And unfortunately, like we can't, you know, we can't avoid that. So we have to figure out how to change our response to it. Yes. So for me,
0: the way that I've been dealing with this all is again, all I that is why I'm such a huge fan of high fat, my fear is always, am I going to be in the pantry? Have I not eaten enough fat to nourish my hormones, and my stress levels? And then am I going to derail myself from uh, with cravings and then go on to a binge? So that is why my that is the biggest reason I am for the higher fat, I think a lot of my healing has really been the higher fat with lots of meat. And then, if I ever feel like I didn't eat enough, I'll just honor my body's symptoms, and that has helped a lot with the cravings.
1: Yeah, and I think for a lot of people, I wish I, I really, really wish I was one of those people. But for a lot of people, exercise also contributes to them feeling better mentally. You know, I know lots of people who talk about um, the hormone response that you get; like it gives you endorphins and all the other. Uh, I don't know, scientific terms around it, but like it, it definitely does spike sense of accomplishment. You feel better afterwards. Like, you know, everybody jokes, nobody wants to go work out, but you always feel better afterwards. Like I still can't quite get myself to that point. But I think that, um, finding a way to be active and to move, I think, you know, a lot of people when they're stressed and upset, have a tendency to pull back and hide, to isolate themselves and to be less active and kind of like, get it, get yourself into a mental or physical hole. Um, and, and I think that just getting out, maybe it's going for a walk. It's not about like, you know, doing tons of exercise or lifting a bunch of weights. There is benefit to that. If you can do it, I think it's beneficial. Um, but even just going for a walk, getting some fresh air, you know, we, that's part of the theme of this podcast is go outside, get some fresh air. You need to find a way to like, um, break out of your habits and, and, uh, move your body and take a breath, you know?
0: The part about exercise is a little tricky, because if you are already in a stress state, meaning that you're either tapping into cortisol too much, and you don't have enough cortisol, or you're also under eating, so then you're not even producing a lot of cortisol. And then if you start really leaning on exercise, so that's where it might get tricky, where some people will under eat, then they're stressed, then they overwork out, and then it ends up making them binge because again, they're malnourished. So it's just being honest with yourself. And I think having walks, uh, getting in the sun, all of those things are really good. But if you're overly using exercise as an escape as well, which people do that, as long as you're doing it in a healthy manner, I think it's a good way to release stress
1: Yeah. And I think there, there's a lot of things that sometimes replace food that aren't healthy. Like you mentioned, I know for me, like it's very easy for me to fall into shopping and like Chris and I always joked where I like, Oh, I'm feeling sad. I'm going to go spend some money and then I feel better. And I think in a lot of ways, shopping can give that same emotional response, um, that same endorphin high, that same like happiness, temporary happiness um, that food does. And I think sometimes people dig themselves into this thing where all of a sudden, then the credit card bill comes, or the, you know, like it's just you kind of dig yourself into a hole the same way we do with food. There's the regret, there's the shame. Like, and thankfully, though, you can return items to the store and those are not calories that are stuck in your body forever. But um, I think being aware of like, are, what are you doing to cope with not eating? Is that a healthy response or is it just another replacement uh, of some kind? Yeah, no, that's really good. I mean, it, the same thing
0: can be said about TV, video games, like anything that can. Any kind up. of social media, yes. the TikTok
1: and the, oh, you yeah, know, the whatever, thing. like all of it.
0: Yeah. So, what are some ways, Laura, when you are, you know, having a stressful day and you're craving something junky, what helps you to kind of get out of that moment?
1: You know, so currently I am I am going through a pretty stressful season in my corporate job. Um, just a lot of change and a lot of new for me and just a lot of, you know, it's been very stressful. And so I get done with my work day and I, I am honestly like I'm just in a lot, I'm very stressful state um, most days. And so everything it's, I, I can't even believe like everything in me has, you know, it's taken every bit of self-discipline and I don't even know that's the right term, but just like learning that I have done over the last four years to not end up in the kitchen about 15 times a day. And so I really do have to just get out of the house, um, after I'm done with work. And so I try to either go to jujitsu with the kids or a lot of times I really just need some alone time to kind of process and break, you know, kind of come down from the stressful time. So I find myself like I go to the tanning bed, um, or I go to the sauna I can't like go do a bunch of workout. Like I'm not in a place where I can emotionally handle that. But for me, it's like sitting in the sauna, you know, listening to a podcast. Sometimes I honestly just go drive around for like half an hour and listen to a podcast. I mean, gas prices now, or maybe I'm not doing that as much. Like I'll go sit in my car somewhere with it off. Um, but I have to just kind of like take some time and be away from the house and breathe, um, listening to podcasts helps. and It has nothing to do with like whatever I'm going through. It's always a really good distraction for me. Um, and so those types of things have been really the, what I've been using to cope with over the last couple of months.
0: Yeah. I think that's really good. I, when I am really stressed, I turn on happy music or music, even like EDM music. And I just dance with my kids and it actually makes me feel a lot better. Sometimes for me, it's also just talking it out, but In the eating disorder world, they call call it riding the wave. A lot of cravings, um, there's ebbs and flows. So you might have a really high high for about 15 minutes where you feel like you're out of control. And if you can just go on a 15-minute walk, sometimes that helps to release that and helps the cortisol go down. If you're still craving it after 15 minutes, it might just be a methodical way of eating it and eating it really slow so you have less or you determine the certain amount you're going to eat sometimes it's, again, it's because you've under eight and that's why you may still be craving it uh,
1: a lot later. Yes, yeah, Since we did our podcast with Dr. Sivas where we talked about like why we all fail at diets. Um, I've been doing a lot of puzzles. Like he reminded me like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I really like doing puzzles. I should get those back out again. And so I, that is a way for me, like kind of, again, if I haven't gotten out of the house, if I don't need to go shopping, I don't want to go spend the money or do something like that just to be able to sit and listen to a podcast, um, and do a puzzle kind of keeps me off of my phone. It keeps me kind of gives my mind a distraction to be able to listen to something and then keeps my hands busy. Uh, and then also kind of keeps me away from social media at the time. It's been nice where typically in the evenings I find myself sitting and scrolling or doing things on social media for far too long, which doesn't really help with my stress level. And so being able to, not have my, you know, like if I'm doing a puzzle and then I'm listening to a podcast on the side, then I'm able to kind of like stay off of my phone and it, it kind of helps with because I think that's another thing that people use, um, you know, as a replacement addiction. So for me, the puzzles have been really helpful. What I want to ask you is when
0: you are transitioning, so let's say you fall off the wagon and tomorrow is a new day and you decide I am going to go back to meat only carnivore. What are some tricks that you use um, or recommendations?
1: You know, somebody asked me at the framed the question with me the other day of saying like, what are the supplements you take or what kind of fasting do you do to get back on track? And like, it just can't be that right. Like it has to be, it has to just be like another day and like feeling this big grand gesture of like, I'm starting over again today and I'm back on the wagon. And like, sometimes it just feels too big for me. And I have such a hard time with big grand you know things, and I kind of give up when it's too big of a thing. And so, if I can just focus on—I know you and I so much talk about when the day—and it's so important. I want to bring it up again now because it's so important. But I really just have to focus on like getting through one day. Um, I typically treat myself with a fancier cut of meat. Maybe I'll eat a ribeyes kind of expensive right now, but if I I'm having a really stressful time or I needed to get back on track or something. I've been snacking too much, whatever it is, I will have a ribeye and maybe like in your brain, it's like, well, you had carbs yesterday. And so now don't have a ribeye today. Cause that's, you should cut calories back on when you're getting back on track or increase fasting. Like none of those things are going to help you emotionally. And, um, so I usually treat myself with some bread cheese or I have, um, a nicer cut of meat. Something that I know is going to be a really enjoyable meal for me um, is kind of the place that I start. And then just trying to set myself up for success for just like one day at a time.
0: I, I used to be the person that if I fell off, I have this grandiose, okay, I'm going to do a 36 hour fast. That would just make me fail. And then I saw it in my clients. So I, I really think what you said is true. As much as it seems so counterintuitive to actually eat more when you already feel kind of bloated, maybe from the carbs, you feel sluggish. I think if you don't even eat breakfast, maybe the next day you eat breakfast and you just eat bacon and right. eggs or you eat steak. And what you're trying to do is for any second that you may have wanted to eat sugar the next day because you're hungry, because your insulin's still really high. You're going to fill that void with a lot of meat and a lot of fat. And as much as it seems so counterintuitive, that's what you do. You're not on a diet. You're just back to eating meat. And for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, plus if you need to do some snacks, all you do is the goal is that you eat zero carbs, fueling with meat 24 7 until you get most of the glucose out of your system, your insulin's a little bit down. And then maybe a week later, you can start saying, Okay, I feel so much better. My glucose isn't super high. I've lost a lot of the water weight that I was holding on to. And now I can maybe reel back a little bit um, of the meals. Maybe I just eat back to my two meals a day. But that is the best way I've seen people get back to eating this way rather than these grandiose gestures like you said of I'm going to eat less, I'm going to fast as much as I can because when your insulin is high and your glucose is high, you are not in normal sorts to be able to control your hunger because your insulin is high. So it's normal to fail the next day. And so it is better to eat a lot of meat and the ones you enjoy and then all your goal is that is you're not trying to eat carbs.
1: Yeah. And I think, so I didn't even tell you, we're kind of adjusting. So I started in my locals group. I started the carnivore 75 hard challenge, which, you know, if Judy created the challenge and if, if you're not familiar, it kind of encompasses like mindset and exercise and movement and your diet and like all these things. It's like the major, we talked about it before on here, but, um, So we started it and like you and I know when we did this before as a group, like hundreds and hundreds of people started it. And then like pretty quickly, like the numbers start drastically dropping off, like as people don't hit one of the elements. And in this, like Andy Fursella is the guy who does the carnivore 70 or the actual, not carnivore version, but like the 75 hard challenge where you're doing like two 45 minute workouts a day and this like drink a gallon of water and this like crazy, like. I'm going to be a fit bro by the end of this challenge, which is an awesome thing for some people. I think the average person is just trying to put two days in front of each other. And so we started this challenge together and And pretty quickly I kind of adapted it for this just little locals group that we're in just to simply say like, if you're on day four and you have a slip up, like the rest of the 75 days are not over. Like if you get to the end of 75 days and we're using this chart and I'm putting like a little stake on the day, every time we hit the different, you know, we get to different days. So today we're on like, you know, um, day 21, actually by the time we're recording this. So if you get to the end of this 75 days and you have 70 days that you were perfect on and five days where you missed your exercise or you ate something that you shouldn't have, like consider that a win when if you're committing to this huge grand plan of I'm going to exercise and I'm going to fast and I'm going to eat perfect and I'm going to do these things. Well, when one element of those is messed up, then I am somebody who tends to give up on all of it and go completely off the rails because I am an all or nothing kind of person. And so while I realize that. It doesn't mean it's permission for me to have little slips along the way, but it hopefully I'm trying to make it easier on myself to not go off the rails and to allow myself some grace of not getting in my movement for one day and then completely blowing up the entire challenge and then eating something bad and going off the rails when it's like, okay, how do I fix this for tomorrow? It's not letting one little thing cause you to go completely off the rails. And so, you know, the, original challenge and the way that Andy Frisella does it is like, if you miss one day, you're done. Like you got to start all the way over and back to day number one. Like this is the Laura Spath version, no man left behind. Like we all just got to finish. I want everybody to make it to day 75. And the only difference is like how many days in there were you perfect or on track or did you hit your goals? But the fact that like, no matter what you got right back on it again, means that you are successful. And I think that's kind of like when you're struggling, if you're feeling like and you're beating yourself up for being a failure, then you just go completely off the rails. I think that's one of the hardest things. We put so much pressure on ourselves for that.
0: Yeah. And I, I I completely agree with that. When I did the first carnivore 75 hard, I was teetering between Do I just have people continue or do I have it start over like Andy does? And I think I ended up doing that. You just start over. But what I realized through the big community was that when people fell off, it's just, you know, that you're back at day one. And so then it's, well, then let me just go all crazy before I yes. start day one. And then most people just would never get back on. And that's that's the concern with the fruits and the honey is people will say, well, let me just try a little bit and let me just try a little bit. And then three months in, they're back at a standard American diet. So knowing yourself is really important, but having that grace for yourself is so key. It's part of what I'm going to talk about at KetoCon with the elimination diet is, I literally say that perfection is for unicorns and unicorns don't exist, right? It's yeah. perfection. If you try to follow perfection and and then otherwise you're not a carnivore, it's it's silly because there's no prize at the end of the day. Your health is your prize. And I would hate for people because they're not perfect carnivore or they're adding a little of something and that's not perfect carnivore that then they say, screw it, I'm just going off, going off the rails it's just a bad mental place to be. And again, it goes back to you're proving to yourself that you can't stay committed to your word. And, and then it's just this negative feedback loop where you have chatter in your brain of, I'm going to start the diet, but inside you're really thinking, yeah, right. You're probably not going to complete even a week. And then it's, you're setting yourself up for failure. So I think that's really good that you guys are just continuing that day 75 is day 75 for everybody. And you pick yourself up, you learned your lesson, you move on. And I think that's really powerful because a lot of people, when we try to hit perfection, um, it ends
1: up making us get hurt more than we realize. And I think for most people, like we want to be healthy, long-term lives. You know, we want to be doing this forever. I always talk like it's a, Listen, it's a very good title for a YouTube video to get somebody to click on my picture if it says I lost 120 pounds in 10 months. Like, yeah, that's what my Instagram bio says. But I and I always in context with those conversations or when somebody mentions that, like, I don't know if that was the right thing for me, to be honest, because the way that I lost that weight was not sustainable for me for long term. Like I couldn't keep living the way that I was living in order to keep that weight off. And then in 2020 and everything shut down, I gained like 50 pounds back and then have been, you know, really working hard the last several years. I could have lost that and I've lost the majority of that. Like I'm where I want to be. I could have lost it a lot faster again. But I also realized kind of through the mis- my mistakes back then that this has to be sustainable for me long term. And if I'm, you know, it doesn't matter if I lose 120 pounds in 10 months, if I gain 50 back, like, where am I really at at the end? Wouldn't it, if I took twice as long to lose that amount, wouldn't I be better off anyway? um, Mm -hmm. If I stayed on track and was able to like be sustainable and stop going through these giant swings. And so, you know, we've, I've talked about the fact that like my only focus the last couple of years has been on consistency to not gain 20 pounds and lose 20 pounds and go up and down and have all these huge fluctuations, but to just like stay the same and see how can I do this, which is why I don't put as much pressure on myself with exercising. And I don't do some of these big grand plans anymore. I mean, this, doing this challenge is the first time in many years that I've done it. And I think it's, you know, I had to be able to adapt it to like what we just said of like staying on track, um, to to help myself not go off the rails because, um, it it doesn't really matter how quickly you're going to lose weight. That's, it's the unfortunate thing too, is that people try to lose weight so fast. And I did too. We try to be in such a hurry, but if you lose 20 pounds in the next month, but then you gain 30 back, like what was the point of that? When, if you really just lost it over twice as much time, but you're able to keep it off, then you're better off anyway.
0: Yeah, they always say that uh, most people that lose weight, they gain it back within a year, and then most people gain it back within the next few. So, you know, people overestimate what they could do in a year, but then they underestimate what they can do in 10. Mm -hmm. And it's because every single day counts, and every single day counts to then become something worth noting. And we are always in a rush to get to the end of. I'm going to get to a body weight for the summer, I'm going to get to a body weight for a party or a wedding. And, and it's just, well, what if you just wanted a certain weight that you can get to for longevity and health, and that you're not always on these crash diets, where half the time of your life, you're miserable, because you're under eating and starving and exercising and doing all of these other things. And what if you just stayed at a consistent weight? Sure, there's days where maybe you want to be a little bit thinner, but Generally, you have better wellness, and I think that is the sweet spot that people need to find. Than be on these crazy crash diets that half of your life you're miserable.
1: Yeah, I, I think people have to figure out like what is causing you to like in those moments of struggling. Like, what is it that's having you go to food, and then how can you avoid that? Like, where can you kind of prevent yourself? Like, learning from your mistakes. I think that's the biggest part of it, and And then also realizing that like one bad moment doesn't mean a bad day or a bad week or a bad month. This idea of having this huge grand plan of the seven things that you're going to focus on and then getting back on track and constantly... just try to focus on one day at a time, right? Like win the day, like what is your plan for tomorrow? And like, find a time to do some movement if you can fit it in and make sure you're eating something that makes you feel good. But then having these times where like, if it's a Thursday and something happens that doesn't have you hit your goals, it doesn't mean you have to wait until Monday to like restart again. There's, you know, you're only going to set yourself further and further back, um, and kind of make yourself feel even worse physically and emotionally by letting that ride out. And so it's, it's really just trying to focus on things like one day at a time
0: as we close i really want to just bring up a few things i think the first step in all of this is being honest with yourself honest mm-hmm. with you know like what is in your life that's causing stress and i i know this is a very touchy topic but i'm maybe you're in a relationship or a job or something in your life that's just not right and you are not really dealing with that and instead you're, you're focusing on the weight because it's something that you can kind of control. And then you focus on the food and or the fact that you're struggling with the food so that your focus is really on your health or your food or your body rather than focusing on what is the core issue or the root cause issue of why you're unhappy. I mean, there's people that are in unhappy marriages or they're, they're single and they're lonely and they're not doing much about it. But instead of focusing on that, then they focus on, well, I'm just going to get the perfect body and they obsess about that be honest with your circumstance and acknowledge it. And sometimes it takes courage to admit and say, yeah, my job sucks right now, or I'm not happy with my dead end relationship or job. And But then what can you do with that instead of regressing and thinking, well, I should have married somebody else, or I should have just taken the job elsewhere. Just take an inventory of where you are, what's necessarily not making you fully happy. And then the second step is really to make a decision of, well, what am I going to do about it? Okay. I'm not really happy with my job. I get it. We have bills to pay. It's scary to leave the job and it's scary with the economics and economy changing so much and do something about it. It's choosing to be strong today and then making courageous steps into what, where do you want to go? And it's some of it's thinking back to your childhood. What brought you joy? What brought you laughter and fun? And, and I, I, I always talk about how if you look at kids, they don't ruminate. They're not in their head 24-7 thinking about the next step, the next meal they have to do. Kids are just really, I'm going to go outside. I want to have fun. Ouch, I hurt my leg. And what else can I do to get into curiosity that will bring me joy and fun? And, And that's how they live their lives. And that's why they laugh so much. And they're full of joy. And yes, they have their moments of sadness, but they live life In the moment. And that's where a lot of us really need to get to of figuring out what is making you unwell, and that's making you maybe live in your head. And then once you're honest with that, and you make a decision, then keep focusing on that. And then know that you're not alone, whether it's community that you have around you. Uh, For me, it's a lot of times it's God, but then reaching out and knowing that you're never alone, that you are not supposed to be alone in this world. So when you need support that you lean on your loved ones, your community that will help you to make these changes that are scary, but these changes will then possibly give you a better life that you really want to live. And so the last thing is really just facing your fear. It's scary to live out of your comfort zone. We are so used to being habitual creatures. I mean, 95% of our habits are what we do every day. And that's really what makes us as a person. So when we say we're going to disrupt that and we're going to change that, that's scary as humans. And I feel that as we get older, we are even more and more used to these habits and the way that we live our lives every single day. But if you want to change things in your life where you're no longer just putting everything under the rug, and you're not just subsisting, and you want more in your life, and you want to make the most of your life, it's time to just address that fear, trust in God, trust in your family, trust in your loved ones, whoever it is, and take each step, take one day at a time. And that's where courage comes. Courage isn't about no fear. It's Courage is being scared and still doing it anyway, and doing it every single day. And that's why we talk about when the days, and that's how in 10 years time, we will see the changes we wanted. And we will make the most of this life. That's very, very short and very precious. And you can just not be in your head and you can have the joy that children do.
1: Yeah. I I think unfortunately the term like self-care gets a bad rap nowadays, where it means like, um, indulging too much, or, you know, it means like I'm going to indulge in all of my wants and desires, but I think the, you know, self-care is setting boundaries. It's putting yourself in situations that are helpful for you. It's keeping your body healthy. I think true self-care is getting yourself in a healthy place emotionally and physically, and like really taking care of yourself. So then you're able to give to others. You can't pour from an empty cup. And I think that we have to be able to, in a slightly selfish way, focus on your own health, set boundaries. Don't put yourself into positions where you're going to be, um, tempted or people are going to be making you feel terrible about yourself for your choices and protect yourself in that way. Focus on your health. And then you will be able to truly be there for your family and for others and those you love, um, when you're in a better place. Okay, guys, I hope that we
0: were able to give you some tips. I know it's easy to fall off the wagon when it comes to diet, but there's no perfection you just take it day by day. There's
1: also no tricks. There's nothing, no special hacks or supplements or pill. Like there's no like one, two, three steps for getting back on track. It's simply just like starting again the next day and taking it one day at a time and really just trying to, um, focus on things. Yeah. Just be full off meats.
0: That's the goal. As soon as you wake up, you grab some eggs and bacon and you stuff your stomach so that you're not like, I want some sugar. And you do that until your insulin is lower and your glucose is lower. And then I promise you in three days, you will feel so much better. And you will not regret that you've been eating three meals or more of just meats and things will turn around. And each day that you are consistent and you do better for yourself, you'll start feeling better about yourself. And then that's when you can truly live your best life. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for tuning in to the cutting against the grain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share and leave us a review and leave any comments and questions on Apple Podcasts. We will read and answer your questions and comments on an upcoming podcast episode. This also helps us to share our real talk with more community members. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nutrition with Judy, on all podcast channels. You can also follow my content on Nutrition with Judy's Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find Carnivore Cure in paperback, ebook, and audio on Amazon. I also have a blog post and weekly newsletter with nutrition and wellness updates. You can sign up at nutritionwithjudy.com. You can find Laura on Instagram at Laura Eastbath. You can follow along on her daily stories and see some of her funny skits. You can also find Laura on her YouTube channel where she shares tips on living a meat-based lifestyle. If you're wondering how much meat to eat in a day, week, or month, Laura has you covered. She also shares how to make a perfect sear on a steak and how extended fasting looks like in real life. You can find her YouTube channel by searching Laura's Bath. Thanks again for listening to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. And remember, make sure to cut against the grain.